Listener Production. The following episode of Fofop is rated MA. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deek speaking. Hello and welcome to Fofop. It's been a little while since I've done a Fofop. Thank you so much to Charlie who's been carrying the Fofop load. Uh, obviously, I did Fofop by myself for 250 episodes or something and then, look, it was getting a bit hard to do every week and Charlie was looking to do a new podcast and he said, do you want me to start doing like Fofop every second week? And I was like, yeah, I would love that. But what I would love even more is if you did it most weeks and I did it occasionally, which is currently what is happening. So uh, it is good to be back. Uh, it is good to be back with uh, one of the, look, I talk to this guy nearly every day, let's be honest, but, uh, but you know, we haven't done one of these for a little while. So it's good to have uh, him back for a hammo fop. It is the award-winning, yeah. got a bit of heat coming yeah. back on the podcast, award-winning Justin Hamilton. Yeah. It's uh, one of the big ones too. And uh, I'm yeah. pretty pumped. The uh, Adelaide Fringe Weekly Comedy Award. And, uh, you know, anyway, look, Awards are very nice, and you should They're enjoy them if, if you, you get them, them, and then you should uh, move on. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't get them, you shouldn't think that that is a judgment in any way other than that awards process and whatever it entailed. But, like, the bad thing about awards is people feel bad when they don't win them, and more people don't win them than do win them. Yes. And that's that's my fundamental problem with awards. I don't argue in any way with the notion that it's lovely to win awards. I've won awards, and mm. it's always been lovely to win them. It gives you – but the truth is that there's more people who feel bad about it, particularly if there's some sort of nomination process where right. you're like, you know – and they go home feeling like a loser instead of feeling like one of the top four actors who made a movie that year or one of the top, you know, seven comedians who, you know, did a show. Like even that's a subjective measurement, but it's a great compliment. Like you should – like it's, it's, it's absolutely okay for you to take it as a compliment, but you should never take it as a negative. Like if you don't win, you yes. should never think that that is like – awards are only for the people who win them and they are useless to everybody else. Yes, and they're not entirely useful for the people who win them either. Like, you know, there's lots of people that have won awards who have never done anything since. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, what it means is that I had someone who came along who saw the show who was on my wavelength who enjoyed it and I'm wrapped and that's great. Yeah. But I've got an example for you because we know that uh, uh, comedy is subjective uh, and it's it's very difficult for people to understand that someone can be funny, but you don't find them funny. And mm. we also know that comedy, uh, it, it, it ages poorly. And I've got one of the earliest examples of a bar joke for you here. Oh, from ancient, what? From ancient Sumeria, uh, circa, and they're really hedging their bets with this, circa 4500 to 1900 B.C., and it, okay, so in, in 1900, it could have already been hack if it came around in 1400. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, imagine <laughs> we're, uh, we're I'm about to quote someone who at the time was the equivalent of talking about airline food. 
Yeah, exactly. Or no, the equivalent of all those lines that we all use when we were, yeah, like when someone's late to a gig and you'd just be like, can I get you anything, you know, like a drink or a fucking watch, right? Like there, no one knows who was the first person who ever said those things. And they're almost passed down through comedy to only be used in that occasion. That's the real version of the aristocrats joke. Like, you know, that Paul Provenza made that movie where they got all the comedians to tell their version of that joke, the aristocrats. But that was a conceit in a way. Like, I don't know how prevalent, like if you think the premise of that movie is that every comedian sits around and tells a version of the aristocrats joke, I'd never heard of that until um, they made that movie. And then when I talked to people in America about it, they were like, nah, that wasn't like really a thing. They took something that had happened and, you know, then created something out of it. Yeah. I have no problem with that. It's super entertaining. You're yeah. just seeing a whole bunch of different people interpret the same piece of material. But the real life version of that is those standard lines. Yeah. That you might, you may have seen like 20 comedians do like in different ways. Like that's, delightful to me. Yeah. Like is seeing somebody else sort of use that line that has somehow just been passed around in comedy history. It's like a connection point and you get to see whatever they do with that thing in that moment. It's, yeah, it's it's funny. It makes me laugh. Uh, the king of it is uh, Melbourne comedian Dave O'Neill. He is my favourite comedian to watch using those lines because he throws them out in such a knowing way, but he puts a Dave O'Neill spin on them and it makes me laugh every time. Um, So, are you ready for this joke? Yes. All right. A dog walked into a tavern and said, I can't see a thing. I'll open this one. Okay. A dog (laughs) walks into a tavern. I mean, that's already funny. Or is Um, it not funny in that time? Because in that time, I imagine there's not like a lot of doors and stuff on taverns. So I imagine that dogs, it's going to be hard to stop them wandering into a tavern. So do you think, just so that I'm getting the premise of this joke, do you think that it is unusual and comedic that a dog is in a tavern or is that just a standard thing that would be happening in those times? What's your best guess? I'm guessing that... Sumerians were probably quite hipsterish and dogs mm-hmm. were in taverns on a regular basis. I think okay. I think they were sitting there so while too. they were drinking their, you know, their special ale and, you know, playing board games and stuff like that. So yeah. I so I coming up with their alternative comedy. Okay. So you're yeah. gonna have to run me through the whole thing. I want to dissect the whole thing. Yeah. But a dog walks into a bar, not in, unusual at this point. Into a tavern. Then what happens next? Into yeah. a tavern. A yeah. dog walked into a tavern and said, I can't see a thing. I'll open this one. All right. Okay. So, I mean, the dog talking is unusual and comedic. Yeah, I reckon. Like, I I imagine that wasn't a common thing back then. Yeah. So, and then the dog, maybe to distract from the fact that he is talking, offers as some sort of explanation, yeah, I might be able to talk, but I can't see. This is like when sometimes you lose one of your senses, one of your other abilities yeah, gets heightened to compensate. Then I, as a blind dog, not a seeing dog for blind people, no. but an actual blind dog. Yeah. I have a seeing human, actually, who, who comes around with me uh, everywhere that I need to go. Yeah. Down the, down the park, sussing out other dogs that might be interested in mating with me. Like the human has to do the whole thing, has to place me on the back. I can't say a thing. Can talk though. So it's good for me and the human to be able to communicate in that fashion. So Absolutely. I, I can't see, so I'll open this one. Yeah. I can't see a thing, I'll open this one. I can't see a thing. 
I'll open this one. <sighs> Man. It's a hard one to work out. Yeah, it is, isn't it? it, it like, re- it's, re- got, it's got the traditional joke structure of a man walks into a bar or a horse walks into yep. the bar. Like there is yep. something that is grounded and we understand about this scenario. But then the surrealist hipster humour that matches the era that you've put us in, the Sumerian hipsters sitting around with their meat in their hipster clothes and their trained dogs by their feet, then I think that, you know, maybe this is a hipster joke as well. Like maybe we don't get it because we're a bit too old school and are looking for traditional comedy structures where like the funny thing is like, don't you get it, man? Like the dog comes into the bar and he says, I can't see a thing, I'll open this one. Man, if if you don't get it, I can't explain it to you. I uh, think this is a real opportunity to uh, sell some gags to Sam Simmons because I reckon Sumerian Sam Simmons could really make something of this. Uh, I I wonder if there was like uh, an outbreak of rabies. So maybe the dog comes in and the dog is frothing and says, I can't see a thing, I'll open this one. And the joke is he then attacks someone in the tavern and rips them apart. I mean... Maybe that's implied. Yep. I don't know. Like, you'd have to know the times. Yeah. This is the thing about comedy. Comedy is so reflective of its times that this is like, you know, people look back on Faulty Towers and want to judge it by today's standards. I don't think we can put ourselves in the shoes of the Sumerians of the time to know what the cultural context of the joke was. That's what we're missing. We're missing the, you know. That's why I think South Park holds up so well is that – Every year of South Park is like a cultural snapshot of that year. So everything yes. always feels contextual. All yes. the storylines. You have this town that always kind of stays the same, but you have basically it reinterpreted through the cultural context of that year. What's happening, what people are talking about, what the world perspective is. Is then So like as you watch it year by year, you get this real sense of what those years were like. I mean, maybe this was the Sumerian – South Park, you know, this, Maybe. this, this, this might be satirizing that like, I mean, Tom Cruise being in a closet, you know, saying that he can't get out of it without yep. the cultural context of what that joke was implying. Yeah. Like if you, if in the future people are studying the greatest movie star of our era, Tom Cruise, the only man who's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> the only man. Because <laughs> it turns out the Scientologists were right. I yeah. mean, there is that yeah. possibility, right? Like if like if you do this, if you are if you are open to the idea, which religious people are, are open to the idea that there is an explanation for all of this. And that there is a particular explanation for all this. And each religion has a different version of what that explanation is, like whether it be Christians or Muslims or Scientologists. It's still a belief system that you believe, no matter how ridiculous it might seem to outsiders, in the possibilities that one of them is actually right. Yeah. Imagine, like imagine if Scientology is the one that just somehow like – despite the fact that it was just made up by like a science fiction author who clearly said to everybody, I'm just making up a religion and like has been pretty much kept alive by Tom Cruise's charisma and energy for its entire existence. Like imagine if they're right. And then Tom Cruise was the one who was right. Like, I mean, he was right about the Top Gun sequel. He was. Maybe he's right about this. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe it is a thing where uh, L. Ron Hubbard just wrote some science fiction books that a few people believed in, but now maybe it's becoming true because of Tom Cruise. Like, if Tom Cruise had – if he'd become anything – 
if he had become a fan of Lord of the Rings, he would have become a Tolkien and that would have become a real thing. Yeah, so sheer force of will. Like, I mean, you know this. I mean, the the greatest example of his irrepressible power, like without a doubt in my mind, it's not making a sequel to Top Gun. Top Gun was one of the most beloved movies of all time, regardless of whether it's a good movie or not. Like, it's a culturally iconic film. Like, of course they would have been happy to make a sequel to Top Gun. Like, his great genius was the way they made it and his force of will to, you know, release it in the proper way and make it the event that it was and, like, you know. But his, you know, ultimate testimony to his force of will is Mission Impossible 3 because the fact that they were allowed to make that (laughs) after Mission Impossible 2, like, must have been purely based on Tom Cruise wanting it to happen, right? Like, that is a, uh, a shocker of a film. And so uh, on the uh, podcast that I host, Big Squid, Adam Richard and I are, are doing Mission Impossible, where we're going back and uh, watching all the Mission Impossible movies in the lead up to his latest one. And uh, funnily enough, have the uh, Mission Impossible 2 going up next week. And it is the only one that I hadn't seen because everyone told me I didn't need to see it. It was that bad. But then I watched it for the podcast and I don't really understand why people were talking it up. It is <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> and the only thing that got me through it was knowing that I was going to record a podcast with Adam Richard about it. That was the only thing that kind of saved me all the way through that monstrosity of a film. And that is a testament to what you're talking about with Tom Cruise because in any other scenario, they would have gone, oh, well, we make one good one. Maybe there was just one good one in it, right? Like, you know, it's it's just a TV show that we've made into a movie. Like maybe, you know, one was all people needed to see. Maybe this isn't something we pursue. And now what's the, what's the number that's about to come out? How many of these fucking movies have there been? What is it? It's like eight or... <laughs> Something crazy like that because yeah. they, they stop numbering them after a while. That's what makes it really hard to keep up with them. Yeah, and they're mostly good. Like this is the other thing. They like, get better. This is, this is an example of him being right. Yes. And again, his sheer force of will and the fact that he's willing to basically maim himself to, you know, hang on to an old school style of movie making that we all realise we're about to lose – or that we've already lost in general. And he's the last, like he's the one basically single-handedly keeping that style of movie, which there's clearly still a great affection for, for at least, you know, some part of the movie-going audience. He's the only person who's really keeping it alive. And again, through his sheer force of will. So maybe, all I'm saying, Justin, is, is there something in this Scientology thing? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like, uh, you know, here's the other thing. Here's the counter that I will add to this, yeah. right, is maybe Tom Cruise is like bell-bottom pants. Like, if you hold on to them long enough, they'll come back into fashion. And here's the thing. We are now entering the era of wanting sincerity in our movies. Uh, the biggest movies are all sincere. Uh, Avatar, Way of Water a very sincere film. Top Gun 2, a very sincere film. Even everything, everywhere, all at once, while they might have been butt plugs and hot dog fingers and rocks and piñatas, a very sincere film. The latest hit, 
Creed 3 by Michael B. Jordan, The Son I Wish I'd Had. A very sincere film. And I think the uh, marvelization of Snark has uh, turned. And I think Tom Cruise has kept steady, kept just moving forward, and now he's back in favour. Yeah, he feels like a classic pair of jeans that there was a period of time where classic pair of jeans went out of fashion and things were being a bit more experimental. And so him as the classic pair of jeans, he was like, you know what? Maybe we can put some flares in our pants. Maybe we can, you know, move with the times. And everyone went, we don't really like that. Like, stay in your lane. (laughs) And he went back to being in his lane and then the classic pair of jeans came back into fashion again. You're right. Like, Like, you know, there is something that he offers that there are very few other people now still able to offer that. Like, you know, we want to attach it to... Harrison Ford or, you know, whoever these people were that were the equivalents of the time. But they're all old men now, whereas, like, yes. Tom Cruise. Again, is there something in this Scientology? Because he's in good shape. Like, I mean, he's, like, you, you know, he's a super successful guy. Like, he's yeah. essentially still excelling in an industry where nobody else now is a big movie star like he is. Like, I mean, I didn't even like Top Gun. Maverick or the first one like I didn't like either of them but like I I just am like he himself is particularly as like he's and I mean this you know I mean I mean I'm yeah I mean this in the way we all understand this like he's a weirdo like you know they he isn't a conventional person like he doesn't relate to other people in a conventional way and look maybe there's some sort of like, you know, he's from an era where people didn't talk about, like, people being on spectrums of things or having, like, you know, um, you know, n- n- uh, neurodiverse behaviour. Maybe, like, in a different era, we'd just be – he'd be, like, someone we'd readily accept his behaviour as being part of him being, like, a neurodiverse person. Maybe. I don't know. Because it's associated with, like, the fact that he believes in this wacky religion and – you know, it all gets caught up in the same thing. You're like, well, he believes in that wacky thing, so, like, we're just going to ascribe all this other stuff to wackiness. But despite all that, despite all the wackiness, the couch jumping, the weird marriages, the, you know, the, like, weird religion, like, he's he's so successful. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's People don't so give a good shit. at what he does. No, they don't, do they? No. Like, if you're good enough, he's a great example of if you're good enough, in the same way as people have not stopped playing Michael Jackson movie, music. I know at some stage there was people who said that we were going to stop playing Michael Jackson music, but people haven't. No. It's, the music's too good. Yeah. Now everybody's in the stage of, well, a lot of other people worked on those songs and it's really disrespectful to like the producer and the other musicians that suddenly we can't be playing their music because of like one guy and the terrible things that he probably did. Like, come on. And, and like, you know, and I get it because, like, fucking Billy Jean is a fucking great track and, you know, whatever you can do to justify being able to listen to it, I fucking get. The Chris Cornell cover, I highly recommend to people. <laughs> but... No, but I feel but like that's I, enough distance. I wonder if it's also, you know, uh, we maybe we're just getting to a point where we won't necessarily celebrate someone for yeah. bad things, but maybe... We're, we're through the looking glass and we understand that people are crazy complicated and yeah. those complicated people, part of uh, the output of them being complicated is that they make great yeah. art and you can enjoy yeah. the art but not – well, you know, but but and it's also different per person. Do you know what I mean? Like on individual cases, it's like 
I can enjoy Tom Cruise even though the head of his religion has a wife who hasn't been seen in 37 years or something and it seems a little bit dangerous and they mm. also believe in someone called Xenu. I can't watch Fat Albert again. Like, that's too much. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But Michael Jackson, I can't listen to his latter stuff when I think maybe he was not a great person, but maybe when bad things were happening to him, I can listen to the Jackson 5. Right, yeah. Uh, okay. So I find, like, this whole thing very interesting because it is kind of a trade-off, isn't it? Like, it's like as long as you keep giving us what we desire – like what we would like you to do is keep trying to kill yourself, like to make cool movies. Absolutely, like, get on the side of a rocket ship, mate. <laughs> I want to see. I want to see the last thing he does is turn into goo as he explodes as he hits the outer atmosphere. Well, that'll be the issue. Zenu will come down and pick him up, and he'll fucking vol- he'll say, "I'm just going. I don't need to get inside the rocket, mate. Yeah, I'll just hold on. Yeah, you take off. <laughs> I'm Tom Cruise <laughs> doing my own stunts. He'll he'll be happy. Like that's how he wants to go. So, okay, so here's a hypothetical scenario then. Uh, Tom Cruise is deprogrammed from Scientology, Mm -hmm. decides that it's all an absolute hoax, sees the light, steps away. But in return or in like, you know, as well, these two things can only exist together, I guess is what I'm saying. He all that his drive to, you know, do his own stunts and make these movies and that also goes away because – the thing that was compelling him was this commitment that he had to this religion, this ideology, this church, the amount of money that he was like putting through the church by like, you know, the money he would make in these movies. And then suddenly he's like, well, this is uh, this whole thing is a sham. I'm walking away from this, but I'm also like, I'm also walking away from, because that is so connected with that to me that I'm not going to make no more Mission Impossibles, no more Top Guns, no more Tom Cruise movies. I'm just going to go away and, be rich and happy and, you know, like reevaluate my life. Like are we happier that he's a Scientologist and making these movies or or would we be happier for Tom to, you know, like just find his peace? I want to see him on the side of a rocket. Like what are you talking about? Yeah, it's not same. even a vote. <laughs> I was trying but, yeah, same. Well, I, I'd like to give him an alternative. I'd like to give him a way out but that allows right. him to stay strange. And uh, have you heard about uh, the – there's uh, people on – who now identify as star seeds or star people. Have you heard about this? No. So there's individuals who believe that they come to Earth from other dimensions to help heal the planet and guide humanity into the golden age. And oh, yeah. uh, it's um, if you if you look across the internet, <laughs> a great sentence. There's over four million results that come up of people posting videos on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook who believe they originate from another world. And it has uh, the content for the term hashtag starseed has over 1 billion views on TikTok. And unlike Earth souls who are said to reincarnate on Earth, starseeds believe they have reawakened from, from another planet to be born here. And uh, there's some things that I'll throw to you to see if maybe you might be a starseed person. I, I, I'm, I'm not. Well, I'm not, I'm not, and they are also not. Like, I mean, okay, there's a broader debate here about, you know, there are scientific explanations that posit that the way we experience time is not actually how time exists, that all time exists at once, and, you know, we experience it in a linear fashion. But, and so, 
look, could there be aliens? Like, could this be a simulation? All those things, of course, are fucking possible. But, like, within the realms of how we experience the life that we lead, these people are full of shit, Justin. They are well, full of shit. <laughs> well, I, I just want you to hold off before you uh, – we've got to take into account quantum entanglement and how, no, how things can affect things. Well, look – just I'm, shut I'm, up. I'm just going to describe like, this and you tell me who okay. this sounds like, okay? All right. They're said to be empathetic, uh, sensitive, have more physical and mental health issues mm. as their souls aren't used to being a human body. They want to help humanity, but sometimes they get overwhelmed by life on earth, so recharged by spending time alone. Does that sound like anyone called Justin Hamilton? Well... <laughs> Look, it does a little, I've got to say. There is – but here's what – here's the difference. Like I think these star seeds, these self-appointed star seeds, I think you hit on the right word when you said empathetic at the start because like there is no one less empathetic than a self-declared empath. Like one of the warning signs that someone is not empathetic is the fact that they tell you that they are all the time. So – um Here's what I would say is you are all those things. There is no doubt. But you are not like a self-declared any of those things. And I feel like your star seeds, like the people who think that they're – like because all you're saying if you're a star seed is I feel like I'm more special than everybody else. Like everybody else is like some sort of earth idiot and I am like a star seed. I was born in – the reason I don't feel like I fit in here is because I am from like a different universe or a different planet. I'm from the stars and I'm going to reincarnate, reincarnate. I mean, come on, shut up. Like seriously, shut up. I, look, I'm, I'm not <laughs> saying that I'm definitely a star seed person. I wouldn't say I'm overly empathetic, but I do think I care. Uh, and I feel like uh, Tom Cruise and I could um, – we could start something new. We could start a whole new church that doesn't make people's wives disappear and we don't, uh, you know, bully people into uh, doing things that they don't want to do. It could be uh, this new holistic oh, society. You know, I you, love David Bowie. He's quite clearly from somewhere else. You wouldn't – We'd have better music. Do th- you wouldn't do those things at the start, but eventually you would do those things. Like I've seen enough cult documentaries to understand how this story. Like it, they, a lot of them start with good intentions, but eventually this is going to turn bad, and now you're hooked in some secret star seed cult with fucking Tom Cruise. <sighs> but I might be in a Mission Impossible movie. I mean, you'd be good in a Mission Impossible movie. Like, I mean. Like, say Simon Pegg died. Oh, no. Like, no. Oh, as no, his character. In, yeah, oh, no, no. I was, no, I was thinking him. But, like, oh. in a stunt gone wrong. <laughs> like, in a Tom oh, yeah, stunt yeah. gone Tom wrong. Tom says, for this next stunt, I want Simon Pegg to be attached to the back of my shoulders like Yoda while I go up in this rocket. And Simon Pegg's going, um, Nick, can you get me out of this <laughs> he one? Says, I'd like to be attached to this rocket by a peg. And they're like, oh, we'll get you a clothes peg. And he goes, no, by Simon Pegg. The actor Simon Pegg. I know I'm buff now, but this is too much. (laughs) I want to be pegged by Simon Pegg, the actor, while I am on a rocket ship. Yeah. Great. So so you think I could take his role? I think you could. I definitely like – I like you as a sort of – I mean – like I could just imagine 
your character, like even the background uh, on the Zoom call today that I'm looking at, you know, you got your David Bowie poster, but you've got like some, you know, Batman figurines. You've got like a you know, shelf full of like DVDs and comic books and these sort of things. Like it feels like that's a place if, if in front of you where your computer screen is, there was like a bank of computers like operating various operations. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, right? Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. it feels like, it feels like the ba- your backdrop, your wall, has been sent up, set set up to very quickly establish who this character is. Yeah, like I've, here are all the things this character is into. Yeah, in one frame. Yeah, well, I've I've worked out how the scene works. So yeah. Simon Pegg has exploded on the side of the mm. rocket in real yeah. life, and uh, so in the next uh, Mission Impossible movie, he needs to find his new computer boffin, and uh, yeah. Ving Rhames brings him over to uh, this safe house where this guy lives, and Tom Cruise is looking around and go, and they're talking. And he says, "So this computer boffin is he seventeen? And then you hear the toilet flush, and I walk out drying <laughs> my hands, and he's like, "Right," and I'm like, "Ah, oh, Ethan Hunt, how are you? I'm." Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm Richard Diggler. Little shout out to Boogie Nights for some reason, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I changed it by deed poll. And uh, then uh, he's talking to me, and he says, "Hey, uh, so uh, how old are you?" And I say, "I'm 50." And he said, "Don't you think this stuff's a bit young for you?" And I say, "No." And then he says, well, are you able to break into the Pentagon? I said, did it five seconds ago. And then you look down and I've already done it. And he's, he's suddenly impressed and he thinks I'm pretty cool. Even though he gets annoyed that when we're trying to make a car chase away, I've put one of the Batman action figures on the dash. <laughs> <laughs> Call me, Tom. Fellow Starseed. I'm good to go. Oh, okay. All right. But... I mean, is Star Seed something that you want to be calling yourself? Like, yeah, why it not? It feels a little <laughs> really. You're fine with that. Uh, like I'm just, I'm just sick and tired of putting down Caucasian male, fifty. Okay, yeah, okay. You know what? That's true. Like, it, it makes you, yeah, you know, not the sort of. Uh, by the way, this is not a as as you know. Despite the fact that this is two middle aged white men having a conversation, this is definitely not a. This is a joke at my um, expense. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is not one of those sort of podcasts. No, no, no. Don't uh, don't listen to us and then go straight into Joe Rogan. We are... Yeah. No. But I, I like the idea of putting myself down as, what do you identify as? Starseed, age, 137 million years old. <laughs> putting all I the mean, zeros in. I mean, you good for your age. I know. That's what People I will would, say. It would really, uh, you know, re-identify me in the, uh, in the scene. I'd go from How looking you like a guy who's 50 to a guy who's in great stage. Yeah, but how would you feel, though, hanging out with Tom Cruise? Because Tom Cruise is, like, what, 10 years older than you are probably, right? But uh, physically. Like he, he looks – I mean, yeah, but physically he is, like – I mean, he's in good nick, Tom Cruise, right? Like, so is that – like, are you going to kind of – do you think you would, like, modernise your look because you, like, you're in this cult now with Tom Cruise? So – or is it, like, a classic sort of – is it Steve Jobs and uh, Steve Wozniak? Like, is that like? Oh, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, they just you just have a different vibe. So I so either way, I have to make a choice because if I go Wozniak, I have to eat more junk food and uh, I have to fill out a little bit more. And if I go like, remember that time when there was that photo of poor Simon Pegg with his shirt off and everyone freaked out because he went from being hey that lovable UK comedian to oh that guy might be on the roids like he is yeah he is cut um uh 
maybe I'd get on the roids. I reckon I might go the full Hugh Jackman uh, preparing uh, for Wolverine. Yeah. And shave my head. You know what I might do? I might go yes. I might go mini Ving Rames. Yes. All right. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So just like massively jacked. Yeah. Shaved head, glasses still or not? Oh no, I'll keep the glasses. I'll, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm not into eye surgery. I don't want to wear contacts. I want to I want to look like Michael Chiklis from the from the Shield. Uh, yes, but I'm more likely to rather than shoot you with a gun, is beat you up with uh, my copy of James Joyce Ulysses. <laughs> Well, I like the idea also that like you're this excellent fighter, yeah. but your one weakness is the fact that you wear glasses. Yeah. So if they are able to knock your glasses off, yeah. or they just like you can't find your glasses immediately, everyone else is reaching for their guns. You're like going immediately for your glasses. Yeah, I don't want to be uh, unrelatable by being invulnerable. Got to have a weakness. I uh, am quite fascinated by, like, I've had times in my life where like. I got fitter than, you know, but I've never been, like, I never ever got to that point where, like, I was ever, like, super, super fit, like, in that way, you know, in that sort of gym. Even as a teenager? No, particularly not as a teenager, to be honest. Like, like, as close as I got was, like, really in my sort of late 20s or, like, early 30s maybe I, like – you know, I was going to the gym and like living at the beach and, you know, that, that sort of thing, running every day, you know, before my hips got bad. And, uh, but never got that sort of, like never had like a proper athlete's body or gym person's body ever in my life and never will now. But I am quite fascinated by, because it happens a bit in comedy, like Simon Pegg is an obvious example. The other one that I always think of is Kamal Nanjiani. Who, oh, yeah. Like, Kamal, like, I used to gig with all the time. Like, to me, Kamal is this, like, beautiful, like, dorky, like, comedian who used to run this, like, great gig with his wife, Emily, out the back of a comic book shop in LA. And, like, you know, my memories are of him hosting that show with Jonah Ray and, like, these incredible lineups. But, like, it's out the back of a comic book shop. And, you know, like, he very much was – it felt like he was a comic book nerd and now he's a comic book hero, you know, a literal comic book hero like with yeah. this like incredibly jacked body. Like, I mean, it's a lot. I, I don't even know if I – like what I think. I, I'm, not, I'm not making a judgment one way or the other. It's just more like an observation where every time I think about it, I'm like, yeah, you're like a different person now. Like you're you, – like him in particular, he looks like – like he looks like he was in a comic book movie and something happened to him and he turned into like the superhero version of himself. <laughs> like he got yeah, shazammed. Yeah, he got bitten by the like radiant spider. he literally spider. got yeah. shazammed in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, I, it, it's not about how it looks. What I'm curious is uh, mm. at this age how it feels. How does it feel right. to just be – that ultra fit. I, I I don't want to be doing the Hugh Jackman 10-week training of waking up at, you yeah. know, 2 in the morning to, you know, the, the only people up at that time of night are people having a good time, Mark Wahlberg mm. and me trying to eat yeah. a lot of chickens to pump iron and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't want to go through that. But on the day that I finish, I'd like to, yeah. I'd like to have that week of, oh, man, this feels great as I eat pasta again. No, I understand that. So today – so. I had to buy a new lawnmower and it turns out that lawnmowers like are quite expensive. Like if you want the good things that lawnmowers do. So like, 
these days there's like a whole bunch of lawnmowers that have basically they power themselves. Like so you're just holding it rather than like pushing it. And that's yeah, that is the one that you obviously definitely want. Right. Is the one that does the work itself. But yep. it's much more expensive than the one that where you have to do the work, where you have to do the majority of the pushing yourself. And, you know, things are a little tight financially at the moment. So I was like, you know what, I'll do the I'll do the responsible thing and I'll like I will, I, you know, I'll push this instead of like, this is the right <laughs> thing to do. And it, I have been mowing the lawn all day today because I have to keep stopping because my back hurts. <laughs> 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 and, <laughs> like it's been, like I've had four different goes at it so far yeah. because like I get to the point where I'm like, oh, like pushing it up a hill, just going, oh man, this was like a, the worst decision. But also just like really in what you're saying, which is if I were a fitter and healthier person, like I should be able to push the fucking lawnmower up the hill. Like it shouldn't be as hard as it's feeling right now, me doing this. So yeah, I would like that. I would like some genuine, I would like to not be as weak as I am because there's still like, I mean, I hope not, but like there still could be heaps of my life left. Like, you know, I mean, worst possible scenario, but if there's heaps left, like I'm not in a good place now. Like I need right. to do some work now yep. in case, you know, particularly when the climate wars start, I'm not going to be prepared. I'm going to be killed on the first day. And if I've made it that far, you want to like last to see how, it, like, you know, you want to get a week or two in to see how bad shit gets immediately. Well, absolutely. Like you made it this far to not be yeah. able to, you know, just go, ah, they really did back down over that uh, or something along those lines. Yeah. You know, it always, it always feels difficult to talk about the climate wars and where everything's going because we can talk about the Ukraine because Russia is white, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Bad Russians, boo. <laughs> Everyone else is a bit like, ah, you know, I lived in Fitzroy for 13 years. It's very difficult to talk about things. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like, I mean, particularly, I mean, obviously Australia, the, you know, the, I mean, look, worldwide, the biggest issue that the world has is how does China decide to proceed, right? Like, and the hope of the world is that China proceeds in a, in a sense that they are happy for China to be what it is, an economic and political superpower, and they don't feel the need to expand their empire through military. I mean, that's just, you can say that without, like, I mean, that's just something the world has to think about. It's the same that they have to think about in America and they have to think about it with Russia. But you're right that there is, as soon as it becomes China, it, there is this, I mean, I used to have a joke that I did in my stand-up years ago about like, because again, we're basically in this same loop as we always are where we're like, we're going to get some submarines. Like just in case, you know, because the rhetoric around it always becomes war with China, war with China, we're going to need some submarines, there's going to be a war with China. And I'm constantly like, I mean, yeah, if there's a war with China, we are fucked. But we're fucked regardless of how many submarines we have. Like, a few submarines isn't going to make the difference. Like, you know, I used to have a joke about, like, China could invade Australia with the kids who played the drums at the opening ceremony of the Beijing Olympics. Like, we, yeah, we're, a, we're a, and we're a huge, I mean, now, I mean, it's been a few years since then. Maybe, you know, some of them aren't in the same shape they used to be. But, oh, yeah. like, even yeah. now, 
I still think, you know, that early precision that was, you know, drilled into them, I think it would stand up. We're a giant country that is impossible to fucking defend. The only way we can defend our country is through international relationships. And, you know, like, um, yeah, the idea that we somehow could get in a fight with China, like a military fight with China, is what are we going to do? Like, nothing. Well, uh, what we could do is we could get Daryl Braithwaite to uh, re-record Sting's uh, song about do the Russians love their children too oh, yeah. and we could just get him to change it to China. Everyone loves Daryl Braithwaite. Everyone likes an updated song. Maybe they'd uh, it would bridge the gap between the two of us. I mean, I don't mind it. Yeah. I don't mind it. Yeah. So do we have to send – does Daryl just – recorded here or are we thinking more like when David Hasselhoff played at the fall of the Berlin Wall? Oh, no. We send, like, we send Daryl over on a yeah, horse. We send Daryl over on a horse. like in, on one, <laughs> in one of our submarines. So the submarine turns up in the so, harbour and everyone goes, <laughs> Jesus, what is this? And then outrides Daryl Braithwaite singing horses on a horse. <laughs> Okay, all right. I feel like you've nailed it. See, that was heaps easier. Oh, fuck. We need submu- one submarine yep. built quickly enough that Daryl Braithwaite is still in us, yep. and we need to train a horse to be able to go on a submarine without freaking out. No, it'll be fine. We'll, we'll give it some. Uh, we'll give it some pills just so it gets over there, and then it'll wake I mean, up. It'll be great. I like the idea that there would be some sort of competition to be that horse, though. Like, we can't just send any old horse. Like, it has to be, like, the winner of the it's Melbourne Cup. It's got to be a Melbourne Cup, Cup something winner. Something like that. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. We'll just have to make sure that that horse doesn't have some weird name that translates poorly. In China. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a good point. Like, yeah, we don't want a cultural incident <laughs> because we've chosen the wrong name for the horse. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get one with eight letters. Uh, well, that was the big. That was the thing about Farlap, right? That's why Farlap was spelled because they thought it was like lucky yep. to have seven letters. That was the theory behind that. So it's like yep. PH rather than F uh, because of the spelling. So we just find a famous like Australian horse that's still alive that has yep. like a name that is eight letters. Yeah, get it on a submarine over to China with Daryl Braithwaite on the back. We and call it in. Bang. We call it Infinity. It's eight letters. Oh. We. It's an eight. On the side, mm, we good. brand it on the side of the stomach. Daryl Braithwaite singing, everything saved. And it's better than my other idea, which was getting Sylvester Stallone back into the ring as Rocky and he fights Yao Ming. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's like a take on Rocky, but it's like a one-on-one basketball game. Right. So it's Yao Ming versus like America or Australia's representatives. So like in America, so this is like more like a, a blood sport or a street fighter style tournament that I'm thinking now. This is like a one-on-one, a world one-on-one basketball tournament. The, the countries all get together and they say, look, the truth of it is that we have too many countries with nuclear weapons. Um, we need to decide the power structure of like without, you know, harming all these people, hurting all these people. And we've decided that basketball – is the best uh, way that we can do this in an efficient way. So what we're going to do is get every country to nominate one basketball player that enters this tournament. Uh, okay, so all right. So is tr- who's China entering? Yao Ming? Uh, look, he is mildly past his use by date. So I think that would be unfair for China. Let's uh, – uh, there's, a, there's a few in the NBA. There's a guy playing for uh, – 
Uh, I feel like there's a guy playing for the Lakers who is Jeremy Lin is past is, is probably past his use by date, but he is also a great player. Yeah, I mean, Sun Yu, maybe very marketable Jeremy Lin too, though. Like you know, China brings a bit of Lin sanity to the you know to yeah. this competition. If America has to send somebody, who who is America sending to this, you know, one-on-one basketball tournament? Because this is where it gets complicated, right? Because you've got your legends, like your LeBrons, like possibly the greatest player of all time and still playing at a decent level, but is he the best, you know, basketballer in the – like, I mean, what, what are you going for here? You, you need someone who is going to be at the top of their game, not only on the court, but off the court. And I'm sending yeah. Steph Curry. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So who does Australia send? Not, Andrew Goes. Not, not Ben Simmons. Like that is, <laughs> we are not sending Ben Simmons. Uh, look, you know, we've got Josh Giddy. He's playing well. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I just, yeah. I can't, uh, I love Joe Ingalls, but you know what? I just, I can rely on Patty Mills. Patty Mills. He's all heart. Still. He, he steps up too. When he he's at up. that level, yeah. he steps up. Yeah. And I can trust oh, him on the court. I can trust him to say the right things. That, and that's the that's the thing I really have to worry about. Yeah, that's a good point. He, he would protest the fact that, like, you know, this is just another f- form of colonisation regardless. Yeah. He, he'd, he'd understand the political ramifications of the scenario and the importance of the he, occasion. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, right. And then and then Andrei Kirilenko, who hasn't played in the league for ages, he can represent <laughs> Russia. Okay. <laughs> Tell you what, you'd make some money off this. <laughs> I mean, there is like, I mean, obviously there are world championships and all these various things in, you know, sports, but the idea that every country they were they were just gonna play a one on one, like, you know, for the Olympics, like Rather than it being team sport, you know, the countries against each other, just the idea that you just have to, each country has to send their one champion to compete against each other. There's something about that that I find, like, really compelling. Well, maybe we should just up the ante on the Olympics and whoever wins the Olympics gets to be in charge for four years. Oh, fuck. You, but then, like, isn't that the same countries that are always in charge? Isn't it just Well, like, they're already in charge know, Ru- anyway. Russia, China and America? Like, well, is it- might might create some incentive for the rest of us to invest more money into our athletes, like mm. you know, maybe maybe well, we I put mean, more it'd money be better in. Better that the money went to the athletes rather than it went to like you know weapons and yeah. like military. So yeah. yeah, okay, all right, Olympics. Yeah, okay, all right, that's fine. Yeah, okay, and the, 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 I think that there needs to be. There's got to be some sort of what you know. What what do they call it when the, there's got to be a grading? There's got to be a because at the moment clearly the countries that tend to do the best do the best per population, and so I think that if we were going to use this as a way to distribute power across the planet, then you've got to have some sort of weighting for like if some country like of you know 
300,000 people, some island somewhere manages to win a gold medal. That's got to be weighted at the, the next year. Yes. They've got to have a bit of disproportionate power in the yes. world structure, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a percentage on population, gold medal, uh, medals per population, and then gold, silver, bronze breaks down, and even placings. Placings can help yeah. out as well. Yeah. It feels good. I love it because it's also a good opportunity for like a small island nation just to stack its population with like athletes on some sort of like, you know, this is our way forward to world power. We're just going to, I mean, imagine how many athletes North Korea would produce if this was the the way forward. Like it would all be about, it would all suddenly go into their athletic program. Well, back in the day, like, you know, you, you're telling me that Dennis Rodman wouldn't have become North Korean by nationality to go and play for the... In the one-in-one one tournament? Yeah. North Korea's representative. Dennis, Dennis Rodman. Rodman. <laughs> he would sign up for it. I'd also, I'd also just yeah. let everyone take roids. If you, can, if you can afford it, go uh-huh. for it. It doesn't matter. It, it's, you know, it's, it's not about winning gold medals now. It's about ruling the world. So I want to see someone break... A seven-second, one hundred-meter dash. I think there has to be two categories because I don't think that you should be able to like have to say to someone who, well, maybe you have the regular Olympics. So this is the way that you do it, right? So we still have the regular Olympics, like the the way that they are, like that's still for. But we take it back to what it was meant to be about, which is amateur sports. You take the the, the amateur sports out, all the professional sports. They have their own competition, but then there's this new competition for the redistribution of world power where anything goes in regard to now we're just like we've had the regular Olympics, which is if you train hard and you don't take drugs and you try your best, this is what you can achieve. And now we're just going to see what you can achieve if you juice the shit out of yourself and like yeah. do whatever. <laughs> we don't care. We just want to see like how far you can push the human body. Like we just want to see how good this gets. Yeah, Olympics juice. I'd do yeah. that. The, the the OJs. Oh, but maybe not the OJs. Uh, no, no. I feel like if we go in this direction, lean into it. Yeah, exactly. We're reclaiming yeah. OJ. This is <laughs> these are two initials yeah. that OJ Simpson stole from the world. We're we're, we're taking yeah. them back. Yeah, we're going full Bono. This is great. See, geez, it's really easy to sort things out. I mean, seriously. Like if they just asked us, they never do. Um, can you, okay. Like I'm sitting around here. If you genuinely had the opportunity to contribute to how the world was run, you know, say there's like, it's just one day, like knock on the door. We're here from the world government. You know what? We've been following along and we actually think you have a really interesting take on things. We just want you to come in for the day, throw us some ideas is that something that you would actually do or would you get overwhelmed by the possibilities of the ramifications of your decisions and actions? Like, because there's part of me that would be like, oh, yeah, it'd be great to, you know, talk about how I think the world could go better than it is currently going and what my perspective on that is about what's important and what's not important. But there's another part of me that realises that I'm a fucking idiot. Like, I don't know anything. I haven't mm. researched any of this shit. Mm. Like, you shouldn't be listening to mm. me on things that you should be listening to experts on. Like, I'm happy mm. to wildly speculate and have some fun around things, but I don't Absolutely. have I don't have to face the reality of the situation. It's very easy for me to say there shouldn't be any homeless people. I don't have to actually know how you fucking make that happen. Um, I do believe that to be the case, but and I do believe there probably is a better way we could fucking find to make sure that that isn't the case. But 
but I don't know what that is. Like, I've got no idea. Yeah. There's probably a whole bunch of reasons that it doesn't happen, you know, <laughs> that I have. Yeah. And I have no idea what the flow and effects or ramifications of any of those decisions would be. So, how, okay. So, so I've come to governments here. We're here from the world government. Um, would you like to come in for a day and, and share some of your ideas about how the world, um, you know, could better operate? Do you, do you go in or not? Nah. <clears throat> I'm out. I'm, I, I, I've worked on enough commercial television mm. where I've made I suggestions am. that are based on things that I've experienced right. from real people in the real world that have been overturned and I have not coped with that. So why am I going to cope with this? It just feels like it's leading to more sadness. Yeah, you know what? It's a very good point because you'll have a lot of great ideas and you'll be enthused about them and then there'll just be a lot of people telling you why you can't actually do that. I worked on a, a- I worked on a movie quiz show where I came up mm. with a game that revolved around uh, the Marvel movies and uh, like five days before Avengers Infinity War came down and I was told that that wouldn't work because it was too niche. I haven't let go of that. That was four years ago. I'm not going yeah. into the UN. <laughs> I mean, 75% of the movies in the world are Marvel movies, so it does Even seem... the ones that aren't. <laughs> exactly. Top Gun's a fucking Marvel movie. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no one survives any of that shit. He's fucking evaporated into, you know, to goo in the, in the first scene. Yeah. Yeah, the only true reading of that movie is, well, there's a couple of readings of that movie. One is that he dies and it's all some sort of, you know, <laughs> fantasy dream. or dream yeah. or whatever the fuck, right? Like tribute to, you know, how he wanted to live his life. One is that he's a Marvel character who can just do superhuman things that don't make any fucking sense in any way and none of his actions have any actual proper consequences. Yeah. If you read it with any reality, like this person could actually exist and do the things that they do, there is there that is not true. It's not real. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. All, all the big films are superhero films. The the Fast yeah. and the Furious, they're superheroes. I saw John Wick four last night. Loved it. You know what he is? He's a superhero. The shit that I mean, Keanu Reeves goes through. He's definitely a superhero. No, yes. I mean, but he is. But he's like more like a computer game in that. He gets more powerful every movie. In fact, I think that possibly is is kind of what they're doing a bit with it, which is that idea of like, yeah, as you play a game and the levels go up, you know, you get more competent at what it is you're able to do. I think there is an element of those building those movies. But The Fast and the Furious, the first few movies, they're car thieves. Yeah. And then by the last few, they're like computer hackers and (laughs) like, you know, (laughs) flying planes through the air. Like every one of them's got like a secret skill. Like everyone is the, I just hacked into the Pentagon, did it five seconds ago person. And you're like, hang on, six movies ago, you were like doing illegal street racing. (laughs) Yeah. How did that happen? Oh, by the way, Top Gun, they, they don't have superhero names. Maverick. Iceman, like they're Mm. none of it's real. Yeah, that's true. So, so, so John John Wick four. How long do you think it goes? Or do you know enough? No, I know it's it's long, right? Yeah, two hours and forty five. And I remember uh, being very happy when I heard that because I, I there's no there's no there's not too long when it comes to John Wick as far as I'm concerned. Like, no, I could not be looking forward to a movie more than I'm looking forward to John Wick. It may be, Justin, the movie that gets me back to the cinema. Wow. I haven't been back. As you know, I have yeah. not been back to the cinema since the pandemic. Yeah. And 
the, I think the movie that might get me back to the cinema might be uh, John Wickety Wick. It's great. And it is, uh, I reckon if it's two hours and 45 minutes, I reckon it's two and a half hours of fighting and uh, 15 minutes of everyone being super cool. And also some genuinely big laugh out loud moments, like really funny, uh, almost to the extent where you're going, did you base this fight scene on the Three Stooges? (laughs) It's great. It will be... An hour and a half of fighting, an hour of headshots, five minutes of pretty funny comedy, and ten minutes of completely indecipherable lore. That will be what it will be. It will be this complicated universe of contrary instructions and mysterious coins that have indeterminate value and like this underground network that is a complete secret that every single person who lives in New York seems to be connected to in some way. And this hotel that has these completely inconsistent rules about what you can and can't do on the property and this organization that has layers of it's, the best, and I don't want it to make any more sense than it makes. I hope they never really clear any of it up. I hope they continue to add more complicated things to it without too much necessary backstory or information. Oh, yeah, it's heaps confusing, and uh, but yeah. only if you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> which don't I didn't think about it, just no. enjoy it, just let it no. wash over you. I was exhausted at the end of the film, though. Like, you feel like if this is your first film, you know, since uh. 2018 or whatever it is, uh, it is be prepared. Like it's it's exhausting, but it's great. Ah, I'm I'm ready. Yeah, I, I might I might even rewatch all the other John Wick movies. I watch them pretty much whenever they're on something, but I might intentionally just go and rewatch them all in a row just to get ready. I might do it in a row and then drive to the cinema and then just like so like I've watched like ten hours of just a guy getting mad for the ultimate reason to get mad, someone fucks up your cool car and someone shoots your dog. That's all I need, yeah. man. Murder yeah. everyone. Yeah. You murder everyone, John Wick. From now on, everyone you meet, you murder them. Yeah, and it's great. And it, 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 never, it never deviates from that, uh, that basic idea and it's perfect. And also you get to watch the Keanu John Wick run, which is a little bit like the Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise has the high hands mm-hmm. going up run and Keanu's run is I'm getting slightly too old for this run and I think I might be actually hurt and it's great. But again, like you talk about superhero, I mean – bouncing off cars and all sorts of things that it'd be like, like the fact that he's even shuffling, you're like, yeah, this is like, this is what superheroes kind of used to be, which is like, like something will happen, but it is not really slowing them down. Like, but they are at least shuffling. Whereas like now they're all like every, the superhero arms race. And I think this is why like John Wick works better for me than any of these current day superhero films is there's been this like arms race that, they have to become more and more powerful. Whereas like what's great about John Wick is that he's like essentially a human being, like even though none of the things that he's doing are like human being things. Like he is like... He, he should have been on a heart bum machine after the, like just breaking the concrete to get his weapons. <laughs> like that should have put his back out for <laughs> three weeks. But he's still going. He's fine. 
Mate, was it in the third one when he killed someone with a horse? Was that the third one? I think it was the third <sighs> one. Yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. And like, oh, I just – I remembered watching John Wick kill a guy in a fight using a horse and I thought, you know what, this is the sort of movie I like. When yes. someone says what sort of movies are you into, the sort of movies I am into – uh, where a character played by Keanu Reeves convinces a horse to kick someone to death. Like yeah. that's the, that's that's what I'm into. That is my favourite style of movie. <laughs> this is not giving anything away, but there will be a fight uh, scene that will make you go, man, Marvel better lift its game for its next Daredevil series. Ah, uh, well, I mean, this is the other thing about these movies that I do like, which is they get some pretty good... Um, yeah, people for him to fight. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, the whole thing was made originally, you know, by like a stuntman, right? Yeah. Like, isn't it County Reasons? And and so the fights are so good and they obviously have respect for people who can, like, do what – and, you know, the, obviously this the premise that, like, there's all these other – again, this is kind of – they're all superheroes as well, aren't they? Like, all the people that he fights, all the other assassins are all – like, none of them – are particularly human in the way that they are able to track people or like fight or whatever they do as well. So you're right. It's just like that. They're all superheroes. This is a superhero movie where like you're getting superheroes to fight other superheroes, but they don't have to be, I'm the most powerful person in the universe and I have all these powers. Cause eventually then you get that Marvel thing, which is the hero fights someone who has the exact same powers that they have at the end of it, because otherwise it's, like, no fun, you know, it's an unfair fight. Whereas, like, John Wick has just, like, made a superhero movie but just, like, disguised it like they're all humans. They're assassins instead of superheroes. Yeah. He, he's, he's got a superhero name, he's got a superhero nom de plume, and he also no. wears a superhero suit, a, a suit that is somehow able to just repel shotgun after shotgun blast. Yeah. It's a good point. <laughs> and it looks it's a good great. Suit. <laughs> And like, and able to do great fighting and headshots. So, <laughs> just raises his arm. <laughs> Guy shoots a gun and it deflects all of it. And then he just leans over and beats nine kinds of fucking Sunday out of him. It's great. Yeah, you're right. It's a superhero movie. These are the good superhero movies of the time. Yeah. And sincere. They're very sincere movies. Getting back to my uh, original thought there's, there, there's, there's jokes, but there's not snark. Yeah. Yeah, well that's right. Like he's not some cool character like who's you know, he is like a man he's he's just on a mission, man. Like he didn't want to get back I, into the game. He didn't want to he, he, loved was, his he wife. was retired. He was out, man. Yeah. He had a different life, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and his wife died killed. and she left him a dog. They yeah. killed his dog. They destroyed his car and yeah. now fuck, you yeah, know, he's, he's back killed, in. He's killed nine he's killed 900 people. <laughs> In the opening credits, no less. Anyway, if I can strap like, yourself in and buy heaps of snacks. I mean, if you think about it like that, though, I mean, of course, he's an assassin and he's killed people before and whatever, but the amount of people he's killed in the last couple of weeks, like, I don't know what the time frame on this one is, how far away it is from, how far is it from the last ones, or is it pretty much a continuation? No, like he's, still up, he's still going. Yeah it's, yeah, it's just like, so it's like, he's still on his world week, tour. 
He's killed like 900 people in a week or whatever. And it, it, I mean, it is a big, it's a big pivot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mate, if, if the, next, the next John Wick movie should be people going back in time trying to find a cure for his wife. I know, right? Yeah, just like, guys, like we lost 10,000 people. <laughs> this hotel chain has fucking devalued. <laughs> yeah, the whole organisation has been deconstructed by John Wick and there's like some surviving members who have to develop time travel technology to travel back yeah. to, to find a cure, Lorenzo's oil style, for his yeah. wife. So none of this happens. <laughs> <laughs> that is a deep cut reference. <laughs> Lorenzo's, Lorenzo's oil. <laughs> we might be able to get Susan Sarandon. She'd be fun. Cam James, the very funny Cam James, uh, as people would know from uh, former FOFOP guest Cam James. Uh, he was a guest, of course, on Question Everything last season. You can still watch that on yeah. ABC Ivy if you'd like. Uh, Cam James used to have a joke that like would make me laugh all the time, but it would look like, you know, one of those jokes where. I'm, I'm sure there were nights when heaps of people laughed at it, but none of the times that I saw him do it, like heaps of people laughed. And I don't think he'll mind me saying that. It was a very uh, niche joke, but it was like one of those ones that if you got it, you really enjoyed it. And he used to, I can't remember the exact wording of the joke, but the premise was that he used to mass it when he was a teenager. He used to masturbate using Lorenzo's oil. Oh, and yeah. it <laughs> always used to make me laugh. Like it would just. <laughs> That's a that's a deep cut movie joke. That yeah. is very funny. Like Lorenzo's oil. If you're in on it, it's worth it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, the one thing we were going to talk about when we um, said that we were going to do this was uh, Bob Odenkirk, who is a brilliant, you know, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, but also Mr. Show and all those things. Everyone, you know, Bob Odenkirk. Uh, if you are a fan of his comedy, but even if you are just a fan of well-written books about comedy, he wrote a book called Comedy, 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 a Drama, which I could not more highly recommend. I thought it was so fantastic, that book. And um, he has a new TV show, which is called Lucky Hank. And yep. uh, I watched it the other night and then uh, uh, thought that you might like it also. Like, we've had a yeah. brief conversation about this, but if anyone is like, you know, has seen it pop up. Because it's only the first episode yep. uh, when we were recording this has been out. Yep. But what, we, what did you think? You know, so uh, so we did a, uh, a best of uh, TV, movies, music and books for um, the Big Squid podcast. And mm-hmm. uh, I went through my top 10 TV shows of 2022 and Better Call Saul finished top for me. Uh, well, not, not best favourite. That was the one that I just was uh, the happiest with. And mm-hmm. I got to the end of that and I thought the ending was so pitch perfect that even though... I love Odenkirk and I thought the premise for this looked interesting. I was a bit like, ah, am I ready for him to not be Saul? Mm. And uh, you said that you'd watched the first episode uh, and a few other people had said that they'd watched it and enjoyed it. And I thought, ah, you know what, I'll, I'll give it a go. And if, if I'm not in the mood for it, I'll pull out and wait until I'm ready. And mm. uh, I watched all of it and it was great. And I'm wrapped to have him back on the TV week to week. I know. That's the thing that I found most delightful about it as well, which was because I watched the opening episode, not with trepidation because I love the book so much. And Oh, you've um, read the book? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, the well, Bob no, Odenkirk sorry. book, not his the book. one that yeah, the, I liked the, his book. The show is based I, current, on. I currently have so much affection for him just yeah. in general yeah. that I, I was definitely looking forward to seeing it. But the fact that it was good and different enough to Better Call Saul, like a different style, different humor, but still very much his humor and the characters and the show just seemed really interesting to me. Like there was lots of good comedy in it, but it also felt like, well, it certainly hinted that there were more interesting directions that it was going to expand into as well. And then, yeah, I had that same thought as you where it was like, oh, great. Oh, here's 10 weeks I can hang out with Bob, Bob Odenkirk in this show, I reckon. Yeah, it's like getting, uh, it's like watching the first episode of Poker Face after Russian Doll mm. and going, oh, Natasha Leon for another week, uh, for another 10 weeks in a row. This is great. So, and you know, you're right. It, it, it feels so different to Saul Goodman, but it feels so Bob Odenkirk. And that is a really hard thing to pull off. Like, there's been many great actors and actresses who have had a defining role and then struggled. You know, like uh, Michael Richards found it difficult after Kramer, Julia Louis Dreyfus kick goals in Veep, you know, like it's it can go one way or the other. And seeing uh, yeah. Odenkirk so... She, she, didn't, she didn't shout the N-word at a lot of people as well, though. I reckon that helped. Look, you know, put that on the back of your hand. That's always a good <laughs> thing to remember. But, you know, like Odenkirk, uh, it's so close to the end of Saul as oh. well. It's really fresh yeah. in my head. Now, I'm going to repeat something that you said to me, but uh, it was something that I agreed on immediately, which was the... Big defining thing is uh, Maria. I think her name is Marielle Enos, who plays his wife, who is so good as an actor, and her character is so well defined in simple exchanges that it immediately made me think, "Oh, this feels completely new." Yeah, without ruining anything, like yeah. I, I don't want to talk about something specific, but there is a thing that happens in the first episode and that gives you an insight into their relationship. And the way that, like, they've played – the way that it's played is just – anyway, like, I don't want to talk about it too much because it's one of those things that I would love people to watch and and see. But that moment in particular was the one where I was like, oh, yeah, I reckon – I'm going to be very interested to see what they do with this. Like there's a lot of potential for what they've set up in this first episode of particularly their relationship and, and what her characters, hopes, dreams, aspirations and all those sort of things are going to be. And yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. The opening scene as well feels when you're watching it feels very much like, Oh yeah, this is enjoyable, but do I really want a lot of this? And it immediately pivots very quickly. So it's smart. It gives you something that in many ways, even if you haven't seen that particular scene in something else, it feels like you have. And then it starts taking you in all these different directions. And uh, anyway, I'm glad that you suggested it. Yeah, that's what I felt about the show in general. There's a few things like, yeah, there's an opening scene and yeah, you, I don't think this is giving anything away. He's like a college professor, college head of a department at a, at a college, a sort of middle rung you know, college. And there's a moment that you've kind of seen a million times, which is that the college professor turns on a student and like actually tells the truth in that moment. We've seen variations of it, even if it isn't that exact scenario, you've seen that play out in. We all recognise that moment and that could have been fine. It defines his character, but what the actual show explores is kind of, there's a whole bunch of ramifications 
of this and it doesn't kind of just stop where you would expect it stops like there like it actually keeps developing in different ways that you didn't necessarily see playing out and 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 I was like oh yeah okay I feel like uh, yeah anyway it feels like a good new show and you mentioned um another one that uh um obviously I loved in particular and I haven't had a real chat to you about whether you finished watching it all yet which is Poker Face because I oh, uh, yeah. that, that's I like was watching that in is it out yet like every Friday that was I would yeah. you know oh, it would pop up and I'd be like brilliant I'm just going to take an hour off and I'm going to go watch this show like did you have you watched it all all the way yeah to I'm the finished end? yeah and I loved yeah. it I thought it was great yeah. and it was uh, so good you know I'm really into it. once again you know things change and come around and having something that has an overarching story but is essentially mm. an individual story each week. Uh, it's 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 a bit of a relief actually to be able to watch something and not have to be juggling lots of different storylines because it's a new one each episode and and a new style like the only really connective tissue is you know this character who wanders between these stories but the stories themselves are often incredibly different in the way that they're told and what they're about. Like, I mean, there's always a, a death, a murder at the um, heart of the stories. So it's very, you know, it's got yeah. that Columbo murder, she wrote style thing, but with such an interesting modern twist. And they realise that, like, there is a familiarity of episodic TV. There's a re- reason that it's still quite comforting to watch an episode of Law and Order or, or a murder, she wrote or a Columbo. Like, but... The thing that I have craved so much, like, that there isn't a lot of these days is that, you know, Columbo-style storytelling where they show you the, the like, the murder at the start and then it's about, you know, solving the murder. But, like, you, you already know who the murderer is. Whereas they, they took that and then expanded on that idea. They went, yeah, this is the template. But sometimes we're going to make this mini episode or this mini film or this like whatever at the start and the actual solving the crime can start well into the episode. Like it wasn't like that all happens in the first three minutes and then the rest of the – yeah, it's – so they played with the style and format of that in a way that I found inc- – like each week I would watch these things and just think, ah, oh, yeah, this wasn't really that much like the show I watched last week at all, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. As much as the you know, show I watched last week. Yeah, you know, the the, the episode where she ends up with uh, hanging out with the two older ladies who you feel like have been done over and then you, you learn, you, you go through so many twists and turns of not knowing yeah. whose side to be on for that episode. Uh, also, um, some, you know, because it's Ryan Johnson who, I don't know if, have you ever, I, I'm not into James Corden, but I saw him interview Ryan Johnson and Natasha mm. Leon and Ryan Johnson just seems like, He's one of those directors that you go. That there's directors you look at and you think, ah, you're brilliant, but I'd, we, I'd never want to meet you. And then you, Ryan Johnson, you're like, oh, why can't I be invited to your house for dinner? Because you look like you would be such a delight. And because he's got such a good uh, relationship with old actors, like bringing in Joseph Gordon-Levitt into that second to last episode was fantastic because he played. He was so awful, and it was great watching him play that kind of character. That um, what's the name of the actor, the older actor? Um, oh, uh, from uh, yeah, it's Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and people like that, like you know, and playing these characters that weren't necessarily what you expect from like actors in those situations. Like, 
I mean, there was that. That really, I think, helped the storytelling. But yeah, uh, Ryan Johnson, I, I mean, because as everyone knows, and I think everyone also agrees with me, this is, you know, I, I don't think this is an uncontroversial thing to say, but, um, uh, you know, clearly he made the only good Star Wars film. And <laughs> it's not controversial at all. That's not controversial, is it, everybody? Yeah, everybody everyone's agrees on top he of made that. the only good Star Wars film. Yep. Yeah, I think I would love to hang out with him. Like, I've loved all these movies. I don't think there's anything that he's made that I haven't enjoyed. And I fucking dug the shit out of this TV show. It was like, there was episodes of it where I was just so involved. Like, just, I mean, the episode with the band and yeah. the, Chloe the song. Yeah. Oh, that was my great. fucking God. Just amazing. Like, I, but then you'd go to these like classical Hollywood, I mean, there's a lot of it that is about storytelling itself and Hollywood and making things and you know anyway I I dug the shit out of it. Yeah, and they uh, that's uh, the the rock and roll band that also has a deceptive amount of twists and turns that leaves you very confused as to yeah. how you feel at the end and all with you know Leon in the middle of it just yeah. just being great. They weren't afraid to go into dark places. That's the other thing. Like, yeah. I mean, some of it is really fucking dark stuff. And um, and then, as you said, uh, there's a connective tissue through the series without wanting to spoil it for anybody. There is like a slight connective tissue that pays off in a cool way at the at the end. So, yeah, I've been – I was wrapped with that. Yeah. I, I had high expectations and I – was absolutely wrapped. Yeah, it feels like a good way to go TV wise. I, by the way, you're since you don't like Star Wars, you didn't watch Andor, did you? No. That's the only good Star Wars. Really, it's great. It's Tony Gilroy. You, you, you honestly have never been more riveted to see uh, someone who works for the Empire get told off by his mum while he eats cornflakes with blue milk. Oh. It is. It's deceptively great. Like to the extent that sometimes there would be lines said by Stella Skarsgård and you'd be like, hey, wait a minute, that's too good for Star Wars. That's the well, – what's going on with this uh, this writing and this language? It's worth checking out. I'm just – I'm just uh, – yeah, I'm just so not interested in the Star Wars universe oh, is yeah. honestly the answer. Well, I know you don't like space and you don't like underwater. Yeah, how much of it is underwater? Is any of it underwater? There's no, nothing's underwater. Okay. Well, yeah, at some, at one sand. point, they have to jump I, into some water. Uh, I don't, don't but know. But not for long. About that. It's just, okay. it's just, it's just the end of one episode. Now, who's the who's the lead? Who's the hero? Whose story am I following in Andor? So uh, I don't know if you have. Um, have you seen Rogue One? Yeah, I reckon I did. Is that the one that was about the plan of the Death Star plan? Yeah, with Ben Mendelsohn. I didn't, yeah, I didn't mind that. Yeah. That was all right. Well, uh, you're following Cassian before he it's, – it's set before Rogue One and it's him being – Well, it couldn't be set after it. No, absolutely. For Rogue One, but – Absolutely. So he's being – at this point, he is just trying to survive and he gets drawn into the rebellion by Stellan Skarsgård's character, Luthan Rail. And it's great. Uh, okay. And, All right. and there'll be okay. there'll be moments when you uh you'll see like a you know, the, the Empire has a, a woman working for them and she's just mm. getting shit on by lots of <laughs> lots of men not listening to her and not yeah, taking her right. into account. You go, fuck, 
Even then they treated women terribly. And then later on you go, oh, hang on a sec, that's right, she's awful. She works for the Empire. Lots of uh, reminders and twists like that. But it's, it's pretty great. Well, um, uh, we should finish this up, but I will say uh, I want to give your show a plug because it, it was award-winning at the Adelaide Fringe and you are doing it at the Melbourne Comedy Festival as well. Um, so can you tell people about that? Yes. So I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing two shows, one-offs at uh, the Melbourne Ooh. Comedy Festival. On the 16th of April, which is a Sunday afternoon, Josh Earl and Celia Pacola and I are going to record a live Big Squid podcast and we're going to compete against each other to create, to create the great Aussie movie list. And we're going to see who comes up with the better list. Everyone gets to vote on that. And then on the Monday, uh, which is the 17th of April, my solo show, Little Victories, one night only at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. And uh, yeah, come down. I'm, you know, as I've stated before, it's, uh, I thought I was out, but uh, I've had a really good time with this show. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, you're back and you're killing it. It's good to have you back. It's very exciting. Uh, I am also doing a show. It's called Will Illuminate. Uh, you can find it uh, oh, when when you're hearing this. Uh, if you're in Darwin Thursday night, I'll be in Darwin. And then uh, after that, Melbourne International Comedy Festival for two weeks. And then after that, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, Townsville, a bunch of other places. Um, uh, and uh, my last year's special, Logical, is available on ABC iView for free. I wrote a book. It's called I Am Not Fine. Thanks. Uh, you can find that where you find books. These are plugs. Uh, Justin, your podcast <laughs> is called? Uh, the Big Squid Podcast. And uh, coming up next is, uh, well, Mission Impossible, uh, our Mission Impossible series. The second episode is uh, going up for Mission Impossible 2. And uh, my guest this week was Ange Lafoy-Pierre. You might hear a little bit more Starseed chat as well. Oh, bloody Starseed. That's what I am. Uh, All right. Well, you are what you are. Justin, thank you so much for doing this today. I appreciate it. Listener.